Hello everyone, welcome to Public Discourse. This is your host again. My name is Sancho Asinto. And this public discourse because it's public, it's posted online, and it's discourse because we've decided this is podcast is about an exchange of ideas about a certain topic that we have today. So actually today, the U.S. 2020 presidential election just finished, so we decided to have that as our topic. Basically, just having talk about the results, talk about the process, just talk about everything. And now that all the craziness are technically done, we're just going to decide to talk about it. So today, I would like to introduce our guest who has seen this today. His name is uh, Terry Modlin. He was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. And despite difficult circumstances, he won a scholarship to Georgetown University. There, he became involved in student politics, becoming the student council president. And following college, he then served for four years as an officer in the United States Army, including a year and a half in Vietnam. In 1973, he became a committee staffer at Capitol Hill, becoming involved in the Panama Canal treaties issues. Then over a span of next 25 years, Mr. Mogulin was a national crime prevention program administrator and national nonprofit CEO. In the last decade, he has been involved in numerous organizations and has been a three-time candidate for Virginia State Senate <coughs> State Elective Office. In one way or another, he has been involved in politics and governance for 35 years. So every, everybody, uh, welcome Terry Modulin. So Terry, you want to talk about this? Hi, good evening. Thanks for having me uh, today. I'm, uh, we we've, uh, have a, um, an election that has been uh, controversial and the, had the turnout has been the greatest since uh, 1960 and before that, 1908. So uh, a lot of new people uh, voting have never voted before. I think that number is 9 million. So uh, it's a really a, um, a very unusual landmark um, presidential election and it'd be fun to talk about it. Great, uh, so we're definitely excited. And uh, Ricardo, it's me, Ricardo here as well. I'll be, uh, as the second host with Sancho, we'll just be discussing amongst the three of us um, this last election. So looking forward to a great conversation. Gentlemen, if I could, I'd like so, to take a little time uh, time to, to put this uh, election into historical context and uh if i'm if i'm taking too long let me know but uh this is not yeah go right ahead this this is not by, by any means the first uh, presidential election in which we've had um a lot of controversy or a uh a, a um a difference about whether or not the election uh results were valid in uh, 1876 uh rutherford b hayes who was i from ohio i believe the governor at that time and Samuel Tilden, who was the uh, governor of New York, um, Tilden, a Democrat, Hayes, a Republican, uh, neither could secure the necessary uh, number of electoral votes to become president. Why? Because there were disputes about the uh, election results in three states, which, I, if I recall, were Florida, Mississippi and South Carolina. And um, eventually, uh, you know, the uh, the election can go to the House of Representatives where each state has one vote. Uh, but they put together a, an election commission and the election commission uh, ended up with eight votes for the Republican candidate and seven for the Democrat. The Republicans, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes won the election, uh, but there was a sort of deal involved where the federal troops left the South 
Um, and so reconstruct the reconstruction period ended pretty much Republicans who had been the abolitionist kind of retreated. We, uh, we even had in, um, uh, our, our venerated forefathers, uh, Thomas Jefferson, at the time that, that he was elected, uh, uh, John Adams, who was the second president, was a Federalist. Uh, uh, Jefferson was a Republican, and those parties uh, really hated one another. It was the point at which Jefferson's uh, followers uh, wanted to march on the Capitol, 20,000 of them, to make sure that Jefferson actually secured the, uh, the presidency. Um, in those days, uh, March 4th was the date in which uh, a new president was sworn in, not January 20, as it is now. And so at the end of January, uh, Adams, who, who had been personable with uh, Jefferson's, but later they became political enemies, uh, installed um, John Marshall as the chief justice, but with the consent of the Senate, of course, um, John Marshall as Chief Justice, John Marshall having been a foe of, of uh, Thomas Jefferson, and they cut the number of justices from six to five. That was at the end of January with uh, Jefferson taking oath uh, in, uh, in March. Uh, it took 35 ballots because, not because really there was a controversy there, but the people voted for Burr thinking he would be vice president, Jefferson as president on the same ballot so they tied it actually took 35 ballots in the Senate, in the uh uh the congress to uh to get jefferson elected believe it or not and then um he made a wonderful made a wonderful speech uh, saying that the minority minority rights should not be used so here were two examples and then we have there are there are others we know mm. of the bush gore uh controversy and and uh, even in 1960 where John Kennedy, some people think, was elected by the um, fraudulent votes in, in the state of Illinois. So my point is that uh, we'll get through this um, with the controversies that exist uh, because we, we've gotten through it in the past. That's crazy. I just I never knew. Yeah, thanks a lot, Terry, for giving us our, especially us younger people, for giving us a really good history lesson and that was that was a really interesting anecdote. I wasn't I wasn't alive for all of those, just some of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it was you're very knowledgeable with it. That's why we decided to have you as a guest and really appreciate all the you know the giving us confidence that yeah, this happened before. We can get through this because I, I mean I never knew it, and I don't know about Ricardo, but for me, I I always thought this is something new. You know, coming from the Philippines, I thought this is like the U. I thought U.S. elections always been smooth. But yeah, you're right. This country has a long history. So do you have anything to add, Ricardo? Yeah, I was gonna say I I, I knew, or I mean, in the time that I've I've been alive, I know that these elections haven't been the smoothest process. I mean, as always, you can always see, right? Um, or not always, but you'll see in the media where they'll show the uh, the voters of the losing party, and they're just in despair and their reactions and things like that. So. I, I, in my experience, I know that it's never been a smooth transition of power whenever that's happened. But um, this is the first time I've ever seen a president outright state that um, this did the, the voter count is fraud and he should be the winner, et cetera. And so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that this has actually happened several times in our past. I am curious, though, had, what has gone and maybe you spoke on this and, and I just missed it, but what what's been the longest that a president has sat there and 
refused to uh, officially. Uh, uh, I, I forgot. There's a specific term, isn't there? Like to give up the presidency or to to uh, to, to, to relent. Concede. To, re- uh, to concede. There it is. I, I, yeah, to concede. When uh, is is this going on? The longest that you've seen this, or or that this has happened in history, or well, can you well, speak Bush, on that? Bush Gore? But that but that was a Supreme Court mm-hmm. decision uh, that reversed essentially a Florida Supreme Court decision. Um, and that's that was not decided for yet almost another month. But uh, but but then uh, Gore um, conceded right away in the 1876 election. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was, you know, at the time, the, the, the feelings about the Civil War were, you know, we, the greatest number of, of men and persons in our history were lost, 600,000 uh, dead. Um, brother slaying brother, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. those feelings mm-hmm. were still very strong. And people feel like in, the, in both Hayes and um, Tilden, uh, the, uh, the, the Hayes people, for example, uh, well, in uh, Tilden, uh, I believe it was Tilden, actually, they said his supporters said, you have to declare yourself president and then it will back it up with force of arms if necessary. If either one of them had done that, there probably would have been another maybe shorter, but another civil war. So, yeah, it was just uh, people say, well, they were weak. Some people said they were too weak because they gave in to what. But thankfully, both were willing to uh, abide by the uh, by, by the outcome. Um, I don't recall in in history the uh, there was a lot of bitterness uh, in in handing over the office uh, between various uh, rivals. Uh, John Adams did not attend the inauguration of Thomas Jefferson, but that was in part because John Adams had lost a son um, to illness uh, just a little bit before that. So, and he never came back to, to DC again uh, for the rest of his life for 25 years. Um, so, but uh, uh, Ricardo, no, I don't recall a president uh, making these accusations and, and um, to this extent, uh, we've had some rascally guys uh, uh, occupy this office, Andrew Jackson, among others, for example. But um, the level and, 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 and bitter, bitter politics, but this is, is pretty unusual. But I think a lot of this does have to do with the mail-in ballot. And later on, we can talk. Maybe we can talk about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thanks for the history. I want to, for Ricardo and Terry, yeah, thanks a lot for that. I just thinking like, Maybe we can go back in time before the election happened, and maybe a little we can share a little bit of our experiences on what was going on, you know, in your life or what was going on in your mind on during election day itself, and then that that same week, you know, with all the craziness that week happened. Anyone want to start to maybe just share your experience during that time? So I guess to share share experience, I, and maybe I'm not answering this correctly, so um, let me know, but. I mean, I, I, know, I did know going into this election, or at least I, I had a relatively high confidence um, that Trump was going to get reelected. I, I think we had discussed this on numerous occasions, but um, and me and my roommate, pretty much everyone I just I discussed this with, I wasn't convinced um, that Joe Biden was going to win it. So leading up to it, even though I heard polls suggesting that Joe Biden would be the winner, I remember. Um, one specific post, I, I think I saw it on social media too, but there's an individual out of Harvard who has guessed, I think, the previous nine presidents, something like that, something something around that number. 
And he had said that Joe Biden would win. And I remember just laughing at that and going, well, I guess he's going to be wrong on this one and uh, moving on. But uh, then then I'm seeing this, uh, the, and then I'm watching the, um, on election day as the, as the votes come in. And I'm seeing that, uh, sure enough, it looks like Trump's going to win. And I'm talking with it with my roommate. And then, then the mail-in ballots come in and that discussion happens. And in my head, I'm still convinced that he doesn't have enough, even though they were still supposedly majority for Joe Biden. Um, until finally, I think it was it was it was pretty uh, like conclusive by the end of at least um, uh, the third uh, that the that uh, Joe Biden was going to win. It just it just came down to the final mail-in ballots, and so at that point, I finally, I guess, had a glimmer of hope that maybe uh, Joe Biden would win. And then leading up to this week. Um, I'm seeing, or leading up throughout the crazy week, I'm seeing countless um, uh, instances where people are saying that he lost. I have a friend who's, who does vote for Trump who didn't want to speak on it, but he is very clear that uh, he thought Trump should have won and that there was something fishy going on. Um, but it was it was interesting because anytime I would see any, um, like any post suggesting that the voter fraud was was act or was actually happening, there was another there was another one uh, canceling that out, um, like uh, responding to that or or um, providing evidence for why it wasn't. So finally, once the week was over and Joe Biden was the official winner, it was a uh, it was it was kind of a crazy feeling to be honest with you. You know, on on uh, this is Terry on on election day. I w- I was an election officer, so mm-hmm. the. Uh, I've been an election uh, an officer uh, at the time that I'm not running for office, uh, and I was an election officer in 2016 and and uh, here in 2020. Um, I'm going to I'm going to talk about that experience, but let me go back just a second to the issue of polling. Uh, so the um, a lot of these polls had Biden up by an extraordinary number, a number that would be you know in politics in the U.S. we consider 55 percent a landslide. And 55 percent does does not oh, okay. it, well it doesn't it, it, it has occurred and certainly in my lifetime but not normal so why were the polls uh, so so wrong and the um, there was an article um, in the Washington Post um, uh, last last Sunday um, from a pollster and and these things have been talked about but this guy talks about the fact that uh, you know they you, you need about 1200 1500 people to to do a sample size that's not off by more than 5% 5% plus or minus in the final weeks to the presidential election you said to complete 1510 interviews over several weeks we had to call get this 136688 voters they had to call 137,000 voters to get 1,500 replies. So that's not a random, you know, it it is a random sample, but it's not. So people don't want to answer Mm -hmm. their phones or you might be like myself. I use my cell phone and and, uh, I get too many marketing calls on my home phone, so I don't answer it. so that, that there's a number of reasons why those polls are wrong. And, you know, they talked about the shy Trump voter that maybe the, the, the Trump voter didn't really want to talk to the media mm-hmm. because they distrust them. And I think there's some of that. But back to the um, 
experience on election day, um, we uh, typically in the 2016 election, we had in that precinct, which is over in Bailey's there, um, called the Crossroads Precinct, we had uh, under, about, about 700, 800 people uh, in person. Um, and I learned a long time ago that a lot of people, as a candidate, I learned that, you know, uh, so many people vote uh, beforehand anyway. Um, sometimes as many as a third mm -hmm. uh, quarter or something like that. So we had, we had uh, between 700 and 800. This time we had more officers to be able to handle it. The polling place was moved because it had previously been in, been in a senior citizen center, uh, Goodwin House, there in Je on Jefferson Street. And um, the number of people that we had come in live was 156. 156 out of I think there's 1,500 or so eligible voters in that precinct. So it's just an illustration. Now, a lot of those were older who had voted early were a lot of older people, but the, the experience was very different. We did not have any problems. So 2016, uh, I'm just gonna give you my in-person experiences. I'm not necessarily saying it's the experience of the world. We had people show up in 2016 who didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> I don't know where they got them from, but uh, they voted in what they call a provisional ballot, which me which is very hard to, to actually get counted because you have to go over to the government center the next week to bring your ID stuff. Well, they didn't have the proper ID and so on. Um, some of them didn't speak English, whatever. It wasn't a huge number, maybe, but maybe 15. Um, uh, but you've got to remember the, the, this election, for example, it's only these elections, it's only one or two voters or three voters per precinct that, that you know, on the average that make a difference. In the election. So we had those those kind of people then. We did not have them, you know, this time. We had 156 people, which left us twiddling our thumbs a good part of the time or um, <laughs> otherwise. Um, but, uh, so it was uh, the, the election... This election was so different than any other election in modern American history. Uh, and I think it's worth talking about it uh, if, if, at some point, but um, it really, it really flipped the, flipped the, uh, the weight of where the voting takes place, namely mm -hmm. mail, namely mail-in ballots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, thanks for sharing your experience as a poll, poll worker, uh, Terry. So at least I think for me, I'll share my experience a little bit for this election. Uh, coming from the Philippines, I always say this podcast, yeah, I always try to compare and contrast and what's how is it back home and how is it here. I mean, the two-party system is, I guess, a big difference. But I was always, uh, when I first came here, my, I think my first election that's really followed was the 2012 election. And I was really amazed on how President Obama and Governor Romney back then, they were, how would they handle the debates, how they handled the issue and how like how fast the results came in and just how it was done. And, you know, and then 2016 happened and now 2020 and it became more uglier and it's very reminiscent of where what I used to experience back home, especially with, you know, President Trump, what he's doing right now. Those are tricks and trades that, you know, a lot of politicians in the Philippines have used like we have to we actually have a vice presidential candidate who lost in I believe it was like the 2016 election as well. Or like four years ago. And he's still filing lawsuits saying he was cheated. You know, so things like that happen. And I think that 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 all of these things happening is very reminiscent of all of that. And I just I just 
feel very disappointed. But then again, thanks again, Terry, for saying that this kind of stuff happened, you know, in the history of this country before. But I think for election night, it was really like Ricardo was saying, I think I wasn't really having an expectation on who will win. You know, I was just like, I think it's a toss up. But like, it's just crazy how I saw it like kind of like a sports game where like that night, it was like Trump was really leading in all the states. And then I thought he's going to win. I left that night thinking, you know, he's ahead. You know, he's going to win this. We did a calculation, you know, me and my fiance are on this website looking at all these different states that Trump is ahead, that if he just wins all the states, he's going to be president. But then again, I woke up and I saw that those states that Trump was leading, Joe Biden was able to lead. And I think that was really, you know, and then I, I actually, the last thing I watched before sleeping was Trump's basically saying he won. You know, it was his victory speech. And <laughs> the next day, like the results. Were so I think that was like a very incredible moment. I think this is my first, actually my first time voting in my in my life in the u.s election so i think it was a very incredible congratulations <laughs> thank you yeah so i think it's it's like a lot of people are saying like oh sorry sancho for your first experience is such an ugly one but actually i like it like i would rather have like a crazy election as my first experience a memorable one rather than like a very straightforward election. but yeah i think it was a very and a very great process and just the fact before i even like voted just I almost actually left the ballot empty for president. Like I was undecided until like the last minute that I did it. And yeah, I think it was a very, very crazy situation. But I know, Terry, uh, I want to kind of like pick your brain or experience when you work as a staffer. And let's talk about our, you know, our former vice president, president president president-elect Joe Biden. So did you have experiences working with him when you were in a staffer? And then what? So what can we expect from him that like the media doesn't really report? Like, who is this guy? Well, thank, thanks for, uh, for asking me that. I worked uh, on the Hill from 73 to 80 when he was just, just getting there, really. But um, the later on, uh, in working with the National Crime Prevention Council and Youth Crime Watch of America, I was frequently on the Hill because uh, for, for Youth Crime Watch, we got most of our money in, in, in uh, direct earmarks from the Congress. Um, so I was I was very much around there. I didn't have uh, a lot of direct contact with him. I remember one incident though that made me a big fan of his, um, and uh, that was uh, after he had visited the uh, Balkans in the 1990s. This was when 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 uh, Bill Clinton was president, and uh, he came back and he addressed this conference that we were at, which was a, a, a conference on crime prevention and justice. And he had said um, he had that he, he had just visited with Milosevic, uh, you know, from uh, Serbia there and who's, you know, been um, was has been accused of war crimes. Um, and he said, you know, he said, I saw I talked to Milosevic. He's a stone cold killer. I looked in the guy's eyes. He's a killer. And, you know, I let him I let him know. And this is actually in his. Uh, Biden's uh, bio or history, if you will, that the United States was was not going to to put up with this. So, as you know, uh, we uh, under President Clinton, we had you know bom- selected bombings to to keep the, the Serbians at uh, at some bay from from um, uh, from massacring. Um, although they succeeded in doing so in Srebrenica, um, from massacring us uh, the the Bosnians. Um, on the hill, the uh, 
I'm going to talk about the crime bill for a minute. Um, 1994. So he's been pilloried for uh, for for being one of the authors of the crime bill and using the term predator. So at that time, I was uh, mm-hmm. with the National Crime Prevention Council and the director of youth programs. We were this country because of crack cocaine was um, uh, having a, a, a proliferation beyond even what we have, far beyond what we have this year of uh, homicides uh, because crack cocaine was, was inexpensive uh, and uh, the kingpins, in, whether it was in DC or elsewhere, hired these young guys, these high school kids or even middle school kids or whatever, figuring they'd get around the justice system by using juveniles to sell this crack cocaine and which was making people crazy and do crazy things, causing a lot of homicides. In DC, we had 500 something homicides in a year because of the, the crews as they called them, the gangs, et cetera, that fought for, for the corners uh, in order to sell crack cocaine. Oh, wow. So as you know, the homicides in the district have been, are up by 20% and they're approaching 200. But this was 500, if I recall correctly, <clears throat> Uh, it was either 92, 93, somewhere around there, <clears throat> um, 535 hom- homicides. So the the crime bill, which also contained the ban on automatic uh, or military-style weapons, which was one of the reasons they accepted some of these other provisions, um, had both uh, Democratic and, and uh, mainly Republican, but some Democratic support. Um, and so there was a compromise there. Number one, to get the the the, the ban, the gun ban, um, military gun ban um, exercise uh, implemented. But um, also, the the outcome of that particular legislation ended up in the so-called mass incarceration of black individuals because um, most of this uh, selling of crack cocaine was taking place in black neighborhoods. Um, I, I, at the time, if if um, there was a whole, I can I can tell you a whole lot about uh, outcomes of that legislation, but at the time, I can tell you that there was a public, you know, people felt there was a public emergency, and that's why it got passed because the um, homicide rate at that time. I don't know what it is today. At that time, it was one in every twenty-one uh, black males would be a victim of homicide. One in every twenty-one. So basically, if you took a classroom it'd be at, at least one black male that would be um, a victim of homicide. It ended up that with terms of incarceration that I don't know how many per classroom, but probably be several per classroom of, of, of black uh, individuals that were under the uh, justice uh, um, uh, oversight because um, we had at one point about 3 million people um, and I and, and it may be even higher now or whatever, but under different circumstances, under different um, uh, rules uh, under the criminal justice system in our country. I just wanted to comment on that. So I, I knew of his legislation, what he was doing, because he was active in the crime arena and he got the, the, the Violence Against Women's Act passed, which was not an easy thing to do at that time. Um, and, um, you know, so he deserves a lot of uh, accolades for that. But basically, as I said, he, uh, and I'll and I'll stop here. But he's, he he is a compromised guy, and uh, I think that that's uh, the best thing for the country right now. If uh, I don't know if he can get unity, but if there's anybody that can, I think he would be the guy. 
Okay. Um, I so to provide a little bit of context on what you said, um, just to make sure I did hear correctly, you did point out that there were about um and, and this is if your memory serves correct, but um there were about five hundred deaths or homicides that had happened. Um that was that, 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 time, that or, was not, that was the highest was number that, for one year. But 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 it was, but was the highest number. In successive years, uh before that crime bill was passed, there were mm-hmm. um there it was it was very high. It had jumped up with the advent of crack cocaine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the reason why I wanted to uh, just bring that up again is because I, I did a quick Google search and um, just to see what the rate was in D.C., you know, 2020, just to compare, um, just to see where we were. And um, at this point, based on this article I'm reading, it had, it had just passed about 170. So just to kind of illustrate how... Um, dangerous things were and how bad it was. And this is in 2020 when the epidemic is full blown as everyone is aware, right? At the point of listening to this podcast. So um, so just the point of that is just to say things aren't necessarily stable nowadays. So just just to show why that, um, why that was a, a, a important thing to note. And so I, I did want to kind of just, just touch a little bit back on the crime bill. But based on what I'm hearing, it seems like it, it was more of a reaction to what was going on. There wasn't, I mean, I, I think some of that criticism is through the lens of, um, of, of nowadays looking back and trying to um, guess what the purpose of these bills were or, or what the um, intentions, the real intentions, quote unquote, behind these bills were. But based on what I'm hearing, and maybe... Um, you can speak a bit more on this, but it seems like that crime, the 1994 crime bill was more reactionary than it was intended to, um, as some people um, would, 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 would suggest, it, it wasn't an attack on um, different communities, specifically black or brown communities. Is that correct? Or maybe, yeah, maybe there's... You yeah, know, no, that's, there's, there's that's, more that's my there. feeling. You have to remember at the time, I mean, uh, Bill Clinton, who used to mm-hmm. call himself the first black president, was, <laughs> was in office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I know him and I, I, he has a very strong connection to the black community, mm-hmm. both in uh, Arkansas and around the country. Um, so he was not somebody who would intentionally try to do that. Another, another part of that crime bill was getting 100,000 mm-hmm. community policemen on the streets. So that was that yeah. was the idea was that mm-hmm. the community policing, mm-hmm. which did take effect and did have a, a very, a very positive effect, mm-hmm. would would help to alleviate some of the kids you know, in, in programs, various social programs, alleviate the kids uh, standing on the corner. So, uh, correct, it, 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 it mm-hmm. certainly uh, was not intended that way. But what happens is the, uh, the criticism of that bill and the criticism of a lot of what we've done in criminal justice is that uh, in or we focus on the one out of 100 s- situations. We, if it leads, it leads. Mm-hmm. We, so, People react, and at that time, you had a lot of Republican legislators who were particularly strong on the using the term "predator." I think uh, Biden maybe used it once, or and maybe even and Hillary Clinton even used it at, at some point, right? Um, but uh, in supporting that yeah. bill, yeah. but the Republicans uh, used it a lot. And uh, in the in the uh, organization that I was in, we really did not like that because it was casting an image of youth as um, as predators um, in use, use of that term, when again, like most crime at any age, it's the 1%, it's the 5%. We know that 
95% of uh, traditionally the, 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 the number is that 95% of the crime is committed by 5% fewer of, of the people of, of, of that age group. Um, you also had an explosion uh, of that, of the uh, numbers in that age group at the younger age group at that time. So yeah, Ricardo, yes, you're, you're, you're correct. I think there was, uh, at least among the, the Democratic leads there, Clinton, Biden, uh, Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. who was supportive and so on, as the first lady, there, there was not the intention to hurt the black community. Mm -hmm. I think I think that's a that's a like because and and I I think it's also very like it's very important to to really like press upon that because again I think one of the big issues I, or one of the big problems with the criticism I would say is that again it, it is looking from a lens you know several years after the fact um, so it's it's you know it, and as a result we're we're putting. Um, we're essentially putting words into his mouth, or, or or suggesting what is what the especially Democratic side, um, their thoughts were in that issue, or or in what happened after the fact, after the uh, bill was passed. And so I think it's important that we remember, you know, especially now that he will now that Joe Biden will be our president, that you know, I, I what's that phrase? Uh, the 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 road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's it's I think it seems like it's just one of those situations, and it's unfortunate, of course, um, but. It is something that you know. It's important that we kind of uh, remember that that's that that's this 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 is something that can happen in yeah. these situations. But one of the things I did I did want um, to I just want to say I, something. But yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, it's really. I just it's always it's not just with this instance. I think it's always uh, it's mm -hmm. always a problem with today, especially the younger people who don't really look into history, who look into the past. It's, everybody's being judged in 2020 context. Where it's like, oh, mm -hmm. you, oh, this person said these bad things in 1870s, 1970s. It was a different time, you know. I feel like I, I mm -hmm. think a lot of people should be able to to learn that more and to put things into context. Well, I think it, you know, this is kind of illustrating the point that one, do your research, but also remain critical in everything that you hear and uh, witness. Because, I mean, if uh, to be honest with you, Terry, if you hadn't if you hadn't brought up what you said, I although I, I won't say that the I I before this before our discussion, I wasn't one to suggest that the crime bill necessarily was targeted straight at black people or brown people in the for you know to hurt those communities. But um, I did wonder if they did know that that was a possibility. And so, kind of based on what you're telling me, um, you know, it's, it is it is kind of good to see that. Okay, well, maybe you know this, you know. It's an unfortunate circumstance or it's an unfortunate consequence um, to the bill passing. But one of the things I did want to, I, you know, you did bring up that uh, if there's anybody who would kind of connect this country, it would be Joe Biden. So if you were in his counsel, his personal counsel, you had his, hear, his ear, what would you suggest? Um, like, he, you know, if you were to suggest somewhere he could start or um, kind of bridging this gap between, how do I put this? Trump voters, Republicans, and then Democrats. Like, how would you how would you suggest we go about bridging that gap? Or is there even is that something you've kind of mulled over, or is that something um, like do you? Well, have I think that, that? Uh, yes, I do. Um, having worked in the Congress and knowing that um, a lot of this does come down to relationships between people, uh, um, elected officials, and mm -hmm. the advantage of uh, 
Joe Biden being there, which I think no other major Democratic candidate would have had, um, is that the um, the relationships that he has with a number of the Republican senators there are good. And um, while Mitch McConnell may hold his his own and, and try to frustrate, as he did with Obama, try to frustrate the agenda or at least modify it radically, um, you do have Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, uh, Mitt Romney, and a few others who um, have, a, have an excellent relationship with Joe Biden. So he's been very careful, and I think handled himself well, in my opinion, in, in, in refraining from criticizing or being uh, showing vengeance, uh, vengeance or vindictiveness in, um, in, in doing these. Remember all the way back to the most bitter time in our history, the Civil War, Lincoln's second inaugural address with malice toward none with charity for all. So it was trying to link Lincoln's mm -hmm. uh, posture and unfortunately his assassination uh, ended his ability to do that. Um, and so we got uh, sort of a reconstructionist vengeance on the South to some extent. Um, the um, the uh, idea of uh, trying to not uh, fight and fight with the, uh, the discourse of the past, but try to mold some some things that that can be common ground um, would be great. But he's got some some major major uh, challenges that are just uh, you know we've got the the debt that very few people are paying attention to. We've got the international situation in which the current president has um, is putting the next the next uh, administration in a very difficult position with respect to Iran, Afghanistan, and so on. Um, basically, if the next administration wants to do anything about those policies to reverse them, it's going to come under a lot of criticism. Um, which is one reason I think the, the Trump administration is doing that. Um, but, you know, there's, a, there's an agreement on infrastructure, but it costs, uh, I think, I mean, a common, common ground on infrastructure, but it costs a lot of money. We'll have to figure out, you know, how that could be done. I think everybody wants to, uh, you know, get over the, 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 the virus, but the vaccines are, uh, some presidents get lucky and some get unlucky in their time, and uh, he will be fortunate that the uh, vaccines will be being distributed um, and presumably being effective. And, you know, so that will, that will die down. So the economy should be coming back. Um, but um, so I think it's, it's, it's a matter of um, getting, uh, he's going to have to come up with some compromises in his cabinet and so on. You know, you hear the, some of the uh, uh, African-American leaders and uh, like Jim Clyburn, Clyburn um, uh, saying that they're disappointed right now. Uh, he's going to have to make some, some um, compromise um, appointments uh, that, you know, to satisfy one side or the other. Um, and of course, uh, one of the interesting things, by the way, I wanted to say, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, stop and not talk too long. When they, when, when Jefferson was elected, I can find this phrase. They, so the, the Federalists uh, thought that the, uh, that the Republicans at that time, now, now the, the Democrats, uh, were, were, were going were to take the, uh, the new nation in a, in, a, in a terrible, terrible course. So remember, the Federalists were the more landed, the more gent uh, gentrified party, if you will. 
So uh, John Marshall, who was the chief justice at that time, wrote uh, Charles Pink, uh, Coachworth Pinckney and said, the Democrats are divided into speculative, speculative theorist and absolute terrorist. Not disposed to last, Mr. Jefferson. Does that sound familiar? His party has, ter has terrorists on him. So. I mean, here's my question for you, Terry. I've just been thinking about it. I've been hearing a lot of it, especially from like the people who are more conservative on the right. And I mean, I've followed. Yes, I'm someone who loves politics. You know, I think that's like something we, a passion that we both share, you know, also helping in your campaign and everything. And I've, and I watch every debate, you know, I've, I've been following it and I watched the primary and I saw, you know, this left wing super, so the quotation mark socialist, you know, attacking the, you know, Biden. It just reminded me of like in WWE when like they have like, I feel like Biden's like the undertaker and they're all like hitting him with a steel chair and just trying to break him down. <laughs> like everybody was going to Biden. And I think it was, it was just, I just, that's how I saw it. And then he won. He won despite all of this super socialist left-wing candidates attacking him, including Kamala Harris, which is actually, she's the one who attacks him the most, which I find very ironic when he chose him, chose her to be vice president, which I think it speaks to his uh, forgiving qualities. I think the compromise you're talking about, but, but my main question, my main thing is, and then these are the people who do, do I don't think they watch the, de the Democrat primaries because they're all saying is they don't want to vote for Biden because he's socialist. The socialist is going to control him. Democrat Party is all about canceling, cancel culture, which I agree with a lot of them. But I think that's just been really been baffling me. It's like, so Biden is, you know, I mean, he's more moderate than what the left has been, been towards to. But then they're saying that, but then, then, you know, people, the party like AOC or Bernie are more into the left, you know, the socialist, they call it the democratic socialist. And they said they're just going to control Biden. What do you think? Is, what I think is I think Biden's going to make the Democrat Party more to the center. But the, a lot of them are saying, no, it's the opposite. Biden's going to be more to the left. So what do you think about it? What do you think will be more likely in this upcoming administration? Well, uh, I'll cite Bill Clinton as an example. When when um, when uh, he became president, um, a, one of the first things they came up with, you know, was the health care initiative, which uh, which failed. And you had uh, Hillary Clinton was put in in charge of that. And uh, they really thought they were going to do the, the biggest change since Social Security. Um, that failed. Uh, they lost a lot of seats in the 1994 election. And then a fellow named Dick Morris, whose uh, whose personal conduct is not one to be imitated, but who was a wily um, tactician, uh, convinced um, uh, Clinton to go to the center. There's something called at that time, the Democrat, it still exists, I think, the Democratic Leadership Council, which was basically a centrist organization. So, so President Clinton at that time went through a whole bunch of, they realized that to some extent, and hopefully Biden realized that it's a culture war. So um, mm -hmm. the uh, Clinton uh, endorsed, for example, school uniforms. Um, he attacked Queen Latifah, <laughs> uh, who was rapping some anti-police song. <laughs> so he gained he he gained a lot of you know people began to say, well, Bill's just a good old boy, you know he and he he uh, he appreciates what's what's going on down here, you know, and he. 
runs and eats a then he eats a McDonald's hamburger, which was not, obviously not very good for his heart. <laughs> but you know, he he conveyed successfully successfully that image, and so in 1996 came back and, and handily beat Bob Dole. Um, so I think that what you have to realize to some extent. Uh, I don't know whether people can get over this or not. There's a tremendously, it's a, it, it is a culture war uh, in, in many, uh, to, to a greater extent. I think that there are certain feelings that that the Trump supporters and the right have about the, not just not just the, the political, the policy, but more about the, the, the way that the people on the, on the left live their lives, you know, that they're afraid of everything. You know that they would never they wouldn't they don't stand up for the flag and and and, and that that sort of thing uh, and whereas the people on the left feel like well the right that's of the proud boys and all that that's all a far right conspiracy and they're 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 gonna pull a coup so on and so on so I think that one of the things that that Biden could do is is uh, be attuned uh, to a little bit of that of that culture war as you know personally I'm very much for the concept that the that the climate is the number one issue because it, it affects everybody on this earth and it has a incredibly large impact mm-hmm. on on what you and Ricardo will face in years to come and and, and all people of your age and younger um, <laughs> so the, you know the 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 issue there is that someone estimated that it would cost as many much as 70 trillion I'm not saying billion trillion dollars to actually get all of that done that, that he would like to do but that that's an impossible figure, but you'd have to start somewhere. And basically, environmentally, envir- the wind and power and solar is cheaper than than gas uh, and um, um, and uh, oil. So in in the long run, they'll they'll be m- more utilized than than the fossil fuels. Um, so that's 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 my thought. I thought that they think that it it's a relationships and and, and culture. Are going to have to be the keys to trying to unlock uh, to get some sort of unity. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. Actually, before in preparing of this podcast, I did like a quick research, a quick Google search. I don't want to say the word research because I feel like research is more deeper. But I did a quick Google search of what's you know the current situations of all like the, the lawsuits with Trump and Biden. And Trump is just completely tweeting. You know, we won, and it's just crazy how he's even he's even, he even hates Fox News now. He, He's like uh, recommending OAN and, and all those like far right websites, but I mean just to give benefit, you know, the doubt with our current president right now. So in your experience, Terry, or even with you, Ricardo, if you know, like you both have any mm-hmm. experience or anything that you know that there's actually any voter fraud in the history, you know, in this country, not just the 2020 election, or just because I mean coming from the Philippines, you know, we just assume, you know, like it's there's so much talk that every election is basically cheated, you know, it's rigged. And I come here and I have like 100% trust that there's no cheating here. But then until Trump started making all these accusations. So do you guys have any, at least any experience with this or, you know? Yes, I, I do. But let me let Ricardo, Ricardo, why don't you go first, sir? I was, I was going to say, unfortunately, I don't. Um, I, I, this has never been a thing to me. I've never even considered that this could actually, um, that voter fraud could happen especially on a large enough scale to um, shift the election one way or another. I mean, I, I would say if I'm being, if I'm thinking about this critically, I would not be shocked if there's an individual who has voted in the name of somebody else 
in our in the past. I'm sure that's happened. But again, I I, I had never imagined that voter fraud was um, significant enough that it would change an election one way or the other. So um, that's the only really thing I could say there. So my experience is both personal and by reference. I have a um, let me let me let me do, go through a couple of personal experiences. The I'm working with a guy uh, five years ago. Uh, who's African-American and was working up here in security. And um, he tells me one day and he knows and he, he actually he helped me in my 2015 campaign. So we're working together one night and he says, um, uh, you know, I got a call today from from Florida. For, and, and my aunt said that I had got a summons for jury duty. And um, I'm like, well, why did I get a summons for jury duty? So he called the the uh, county, and they, they said, well, you've been voting the last five years. Well, he hadn't lived in Florida for five years. Um, so, you know, that's one example. I've, I've, uh, uh, a, a person who I've worked with in this area uh, who lives in um, just above uh, Route 7 here, uh, went to vote in the 2012 election. Somebody had voted in her name. Um, the uh, a friend of mine in, in Maryland, um, recently got two, uh, was picking up mail for her neighbor and got two ballots for the same person uh, to mail in in the primary. So it, it certainly happens on an individual basis. Now, ballot harvesting and so on, um, it's, been, it's been difficult to, uh, the, 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 the problem is with the mail-in ballots that it, 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 the way that that they've come down in this election, it's difficult to, 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 to prove or disprove any kind of fraud. The, um, there are, uh, I, I read all of that, inf the information that's coming from the, uh, uh, from the Trump, uh, Trump administration or the, not the administration, but the campaign <clears throat> on this issue. And it leaves you with some, some uncertainty in your feelings in terms of the large numbers. Two couple issues here. One is that Virginia, like most states, did not disclose their mail-in ballots until later at night. So I was in a discussion group where we were told by a guy who works for something called DPAP, which is a very significant website, Virginia Public Access Project. And they have a, a, a very, very good and nonpartisan uh, website. Uh, on uh, elections and boiling it down to the precinct level. Anyway, what what he said to us, he said, "Let me let me warn you ahead of time. Virginia is not going to count its mail-in ballots until 11 p.m. So most of the states that had mail-in ballots did not count them until late, uh, and and that was the intention all along. I wish they had done it in the beginning, but." Some might have said that that would have prejudiced the outcome of the election or something. But well, the, the the polls should have been closed. They shouldn't wouldn't have any results. But but the point is that it looked like uh, Donald Trump was winning because the mail-in ballots simply hadn't been counted. And then you have the states where, for whatever reason, I don't know, they they won't they were not allowed to count the ballots until the mail-in ballots until after the election. So in Virginia. Uh, they were able to uh, uh, the the General Assembly, uh, which I think made the voting rules too loose, in my opinion, but allowed them to cure the ballots. That is to say, if someone sent in something that was wrong with their ballot, 
the Fairfax County, let's say Fairfax County people would call them and say, this isn't correct with your ballot. If this is, if this is you, you're going to have to get another ballot and fix it. And so that, how many of, of those happened? I don't, I don't know. I think the, the, the voting in Virginia is basically honest. We have the redundant system where you have both the paper ballot and the electronic scanner. Um, but the, what I want to say, and I'll just say it quickly, because again, we could spend an hour just on that issue. The mail-in ballot I'm, uh, is, uh, I understand why the president was concerned about that. It leaves a lot of room for potential fraud because the link between the voter himself or herself and the ballot box is not direct. So it, you, you, it, is, it is easier, certainly, to, to harvest ballots. And when you go to these nursing homes and so on, I can tell you from working as an election officer in the nursing homes, uh, the people are cognitively impaired to some extent, uh, a lot of them, you know, and just getting them to, to handle the ballot correctly is um, is a bit of a chore. And, you know, we can't intervene as election officers. They can have assistance if they, but we have to sign up the assistant to help them. So um, the, you know, so there, 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 there's potential there. I am, uh, I am uneasy with the rules that as they exist as a candidate, because now, and let me just finish with this, as a candidate, should I ever choose to run again, which I don't plan to, the whole game has changed. Uh, now, if most of the people are voting early and voting by mail, you have to both make sure that your people are out there uh, canvassing everything, and you have to watch the opposition at the same time. So for somebody that doesn't have a lot of resources like myself running for office, it becomes much more difficult. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really eye-opening. Thanks for sharing your experience, Terry. I mean, I just want to share for V2, like, it's, I don't have an experience with mail-in ballots, but I have experience, currently experiencing uh, issues with the post office, with them, like, lose, you know, losing, I don't know if you guys lost, you know, they you sent something, the post office lost it, have you guys experienced with that, but that's what I'm going to say. Uh, no, yeah, I'm, yeah, I have issues with that, but, I mean, it, it, it makes sense, I mean, like, Terry said, I think he said it, they're, they're like perfectly, there's no direct coming in, but I mean that's why there's obs ob observers there, you know. But it's really that that's a really the main thing for me. Is like I just hope people will have confidence, you know, with the election. And it seems like it's it's you know, with especially for this election, it seems like some people are not accepting it, and the confidence are not going forward. So and on that actually that same note, I want to ask both of you and probably myself too, and I'll share a little bit. So what do you guys think will be – this might be the last one where we're about like eight, six minutes left till we're done. So we, this can be like a wrap-up question, wrap-up topic. And I think it's a perfect one. Okay. So right now, what's recording this podcast is that November 28, 2020, Thanksgiving just finished. So the election ended in November 4th. The inauguration, presumably for President like Joe Biden, is on January and President Trump still won't concede, though he allowed the transition to happen. It still has a lot of lawsuits contesting the results, and so we're in this. We're in the middle of this election war, if, you know, post-election war, if you say so. So, what if you, you know, we can be like sports analysts here, like you know, Stephen A. Smith or something. So, what's gonna be your prediction? What's gonna happen by January? Uh, anyone want to start with their prediction? 
Uh, if I'm gonna throw out a guess, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume everything will have calmed down by January. I'm I'm gonna assume that, uh, or at least I'd like to believe. I, I I'm actually not gonna assume because to be honest with you, this mm-hmm. is so unprecedented. At least for me, that I I can't even begin to imagine where things will go. But for me, I I think I'd like to believe it will have calmed down. I'd like to believe that at some point in the next month, um, Trump will officially concede. I've I'm already hearing, um, or I've I've already read some reports suggesting that he has already begun allowing this transition of power over to Biden. So even though he hasn't explicitly stated that he's conceded, um, my understanding is that he also hasn't prevented some transitions. I think he's getting in the way of others, or at least he's not completely cooperative, but I do believe he's at least letting some of the transitions of powers start to happen um, as they would in these situations. So I'm, I'm assuming that by January, um, he he will have officially conceded and Joe Biden will begin his presidency. I do wonder if, um, you know, January 20th, Joe Biden starts his presidency and then January 21st, Joe or uh, Donald Trump gets arrested for something and now he's facing trial for whatever criminal activity, um, you know, people are suggesting he's doing now or, or at that time. I do wonder if that'll happen, but I really think that we're going to get past this. Um, I think it'll, I'm hoping it'll end sooner rather than later, but uh, I think it'll be kind of, I think it'll kind of uh, be anticlimactic if I'm being honest. Um, but you know, we'll see. Maybe, maybe I'm I'm totally dead. Right, I'll go next. We'll, we'll have Terry to be the last one to predict. He's an expert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just thinking about you know we're pulling shit out of our ass here. So, uh, <laughs> I think you know it's kind of like it's kind of funny. It's it's like you know a big thing like who's gonna win the Patriots or the Packers? You know. So here's my, here's my take mm-hmm. on this matchup. You know, so I, I here I I. Kind of disagree with you. I mean, I'm kind of more pessimistic towards this, and I'm just basing it off like my experience in Philippine politics. And I actually think Trump will never mm-hmm. concede ever in his life, and until his deathbed, he will claim that he won the presidency. And I think what's gonna happen is he's—I don't think the Secret Service is gonna force him out or anything, but I think he's gonna leave the White House. Like, it's not gonna be the same as the one mm-hmm. with uh, Trump and Obama when they were like saluting the Marine One and everything. I think he will just be gone like very key and then okay. we'll take over but i mm-hmm. think throughout the whole biden presidency trump will always gonna be ruining everything he's gonna be that guy you know who's just gonna be and he might and he, they're actually i sure saw some reports he said he might run for 2024 you know so he said he's gonna announce that he's gonna run for 2024 on the day of the inauguration yeah i actually think oh he's gosh. gonna do that he's gonna be you know he's gonna be that you know, Biden's trying to get things done and Trump's going to be like that private citizen Trump who's going to be talking. He's going to be in all the conservative channels. He's, he's, he's not going to give up. And he's, but, mm-hmm. I, you know, his supporters are probably going to follow him, but most people just ignore him as former president guy. You know, that's what I think. I hope it doesn't happen. But uh, based on my experience, like in the Philippines, I told you like that former, you know, actually the son of Marcos. It's actually a Marcos. He yeah he run he he was uh, four years later he's still filing lawsuits. I think Trump will be doing that. That's what I think. So. What I think out there. 
Well, I'm inclined more to agree with you. A little slightly pessimistic on this. Um, I do. I, uh, Biden will be inaugurated on January the 20th. He will be, you know, uh, uh, elected in the Electoral College. Um, I, I don't believe the president, the President Trump, will will ever concede. Um, he will. Uh, generally speaking, the the transition uh, is beginning to take place. Uh, it's just that the, the guys at the end of the transition, when they get into office on January 20th, are going to say, wow, <laughs> do we face some problems? They <laughs> <laughs> have a tremendous burden to, to, to bear at that point, which, which this administration is. Um, you know, the, the uh, uh, President Trump, is, his, um, his hold on, on, on power is really his hold on his, on his expanded base. Um, and um, I wouldn't discount, uh, you know, we've had it happen in our country. I wouldn't discount some uh, possible people here or there, like those guys that were arrested in Michigan trying to do something that is um, violent or, or um, disruptive in our country. Um, but I've also predicted that I've also predicted some people that don't be surprised if Black Lives Matters <laughs> is, is, is demonstrating on on the inaugur- at the inauguration because they haven't uh, they, but they haven't succeeded in getting what they thought they should get from the uh, incoming event. So, um, uh, turbulent times uh, if anybody can handle it it's Joe Biden just to hopefully his health um, holds up and what's going <laughs> to someone called me today and said well the president's going to leave the country <laughs> so he can't be prosecuted <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what's going to happen in that regard, but he's got he's got he does have some issues there. Yeah, I guess at my age, I just feel like in my 28 years in this world, like if I'm living in history, which you know this is going to be in the history books. This election, it's all everything's happening at the same time. A pandemic, you know, so it's it, it, mm-hmm. we're in history. You know, yeah. whatever we do here, it, it's going to be in the history books. Like five year olds in 2050 is going to be reading about this. Well, you'll see, you'll, 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 and you'll see, it'll be interesting because, you know, they say that uh, those who make history are those who write it, right? But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I'm so I was li- listening to uh, uh, Mark Levine on, on Fox earlier, and and he feels, and some of his guests feel like uh, that uh, Donald Trump will be considered one of the greatest presidents in the history of the United States. So there's, you know, you've got you've got some real, real contrast. And and of course, others feel that he's the greatest scoundrel that ever occupied the presidency. Exactly. Crazy. Anyway, thanks a lot, uh, Terry. Really appreciate it. It's been, I think it's been very informative. We got a lot of information from you, a lot of uh, insights that we never really thought we would know. It was such a surprise. So it's, it's been a lot. Gentlemen, it's been fun. And thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. We'll send you a link once this is done. Uh, so for all our listeners, thank you for listening. Hopefully, you know, you'll get some knowledge from Mr. Termoglin. And yeah, if you have any questions, concerns, uh, we have an email address, publicdiscoursepodcast at gmail.com. And if this pod, this is posted before December, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, and I hope the future will be bright for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Good Christmas. Happy New Year. Agreed. Happy New Year.